Good morning, everyone. Uh, so today we have Brandon Gibson of Steinbridge, and we're going to talk about impact investing and residential and multifamily deals and all kinds of other stuff related to that. Uh, so good morning, Brandon. How are you doing? Uh, good morning, Josh. I'm doing amazingly well. How are you? Great. Doing, doing great, too. Thanks for asking. Um, so I guess, first off, I always like to get out of the way. Your website, obviously, is steinbridge.com, S-T-E-I-N, bridge.com. I always like to mention that because invariably someone will email me later. Um, so let's start with uh, what, what do you do at Steinbridge? Uh, managing Director of Acquisitions and uh, Development. Got it. So day-to-day -day looking at new deals, building the pipeline, bringing it through the pipeline, so to speak. Um how, what's the what was the what was the start of Steinbridge? Like, how old of a company is it? Why was yeah. it started? That sort of stuff. Great question. So Steinbridge started in 2016, founded by Tawan Davis, our founder and CEO. Uh, the initial idea was to purchase office buildings around the country, uh, and the first deal uh, executed by Steinbridge was an acquisition of the Watergate office building in DC, uh, and shortly thereafter, Tawan. Uh, saw where the economy was going. I mean, WeWork was taking over the world uh, in the office space uh, ecosystem. And, you know, no one knew that COVID was going to happen, but it ended up, you know, happening, obviously. Uh, and so there was an idea to shift into residential, but the question was, in what way, in what manner should we shift? Uh, and so we thought through, you know, should we do multifamily? Uh, you know, what should we do hospitality? But the idea uh, of being able to jump into residential and be meaningfully impactful, uh, I think the best opportunity uh, came about with single family rental uh, and uh, and built to rent opportunities around the country. Now, I mean, SFR has been definitely a, a burgeoning field. So right now of your portfolio, if you had to guess, like what percentage of it is stuff that you bought? What percentage of it is stuff that you've built? How big of a pipeline do you have? Like what's your involvement in SFR? Great question. So right now, our pipeline is probably 60% bill to rent, 40% SFR. Okay. 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 And markets that you're most active in? So we're mostly active in the Northeast uh, for SFR. And for BTR, uh, we're mostly active in Texas uh, and today, Richmond, Virginia. Bill to rent. Bill to rent. And that's all like the bill to rent stuff that's, again, single family that you're building to rent. Basically. Correct. Right. right. Okay. But no true, not that it's good or bad, but no true like multifamily. Like we'll do small multifamily and we are getting opportunities for master planning uh, in, you know, large developments uh, around the country. Uh, and the idea would be for us to, you know, do a mixture of you know, single family townhomes, multifamily, hospitality, retail, all of that. But outside of those sort of ancillary multifamily, uh, rather master planning opportunities, for the most part, it's uh, SFR, BTR and small multi for the most part. So, so let me, let me try another angle. Like what makes a deal work for you guys like i mean every i mean when i did brokerage everyone would talk about the natural buyer you know like what's your natural deal if you great will question, great question so i think what's different about us i mean anybody can you know build a building or buy a property and clearly we're doing that all of our deals you know pencil but we really believe in partnering with institutions so everyone's aware of trinity church uh, on wall street you know it's been around since what early 1700s queen anne uh gave the church the charter for 200 acres uh, uh, i i used to rent space in lower manhattan which was on land in a building that was owned by 
essentially exactly. Trinity Church. Exactly. Sure. They own all the land underneath the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, and so on and so forth. And so they have you know, $6 billion real estate portfolio as a church. Right? Sure. I, I grew up in church. Uh, Tawan, our founder, grew up in church. We were like boy preachers growing up. Uh, and we realized that though there may not be many Trinity churches around the country, there are these many Trinity churches that, and not just churches, but institutions uh, sure. that, that are real estate rich, but cash poor. Uh, and uh, right. they don't have the knowledge uh, on how to develop, and they don't necessarily want to sell either. And so what we decided was, you know, given that we have a lot of deep institutional understanding uh, in, in the church world, and in, in, in particularly in, in the in the black church world, uh, institutions like academic institutions, universities and colleges and nonprofits, we have pretty deep understanding and relationships. We figured, why don't we activate those relationships and, and in so doing, activate the land that's undeveloped and underdeveloped with these institutions. And when you say institutions, obviously, we're talking about, I mean, it's funny because a lot of times in our field, when people say institutions, they mean like Prudential, TIA, Craft. You you mean in this case social and religious institutions, right? Cultural and religious institutions. Yeah, no, and that's that's an excellent point. I mean, a lot of them they have excess land, they have exactly. sites that they've shuttered, and their real estate people, at least in my experience, tend to be more of maintenance, property management people rather than development people, which serves the mission. I mean, if your church, your goal is to have the roof not leak, not build a exactly. tower. Exactly. It kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. So that's interesting. So you go to them and you say, hey, you guys have excess land or you Mm -hmm. have assets that can be monetized. We partner with you. And in that case, I mean, they're the ultimate owner of the site, right? Because they want to keep it for portfolios. So then you're, are you leasing it long term for them? Like what's the, what's like a relationship? Great question. So we, we just ultimately enter into a joint venture. Uh, and we function as the GP and they basically are an LP and they contribute their land to the joint venture uh, and we develop it together. Uh, we pretty much uh, raise all the capital to develop the property and we manage it obviously as the GP uh, and the institution benefits from clearly creating an, another revenue stream for the institution. For example, we're working with uh, an HBCU here in the United States. Uh, can't say the name just yet. We're going to do a big announcement in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we're developing all of their land um, uh, that has been undeveloped for quite some time. They've owned it since the 1800s. Uh, right. And we're in partnership with them. And much of the proceeds and the revenue generated from uh, this development will go towards building their endowment. Uh, it represents over a third of their endowment alone today. A lot of these institutions, particularly the historically black colleges and universities, there's about 107 of them, half are publicly funded, the other half privately funded. The ones that are privately funded have to rely quite heavily on you know, raising money on their own and donations and grants. Uh, this presents a platform for institutions like HBCUs to create another avenue where they can be financially and economically independent by developing their real estate, particularly with us. I did not know that there were over 100 historically black colleges. I, I knew that they were out there. I mean, obviously, because I'm an American, but like, yeah. I did not know that there were over 100. Um, yeah. No, it's interesting. And and I mean, generally, a lot of the historically black colleges are predominantly Southern colleges and universities, Correct. right? Correct. Predominantly. Yeah, Correct. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that which goes back to a whole history that is a much larger conversation but that's interesting that's interesting no and were some of those also land-grant universities like were they land-grant guys like where they were given the land by the state or it's just sort of they had land some some of them were uh for, for the most part but uh at most most of them from what we're seeing you know had to rely quite heavily on 
buying land on their own and starting it on their own, whether it be a church. Okay. The church was huge in that uh, and several other institutions that kind of got together to create these colleges and universities. Yeah, AME, that's African Methodist Episcopalian, uh, Episcopal. And then, and what is it? HCBU is historically? Historically Black College and University. What's the C stand for? College. College. Okay. Historic College, Black University. Got it. SCBU. Yeah. Okay. No, H I wanted to. H HBCU, Historically Black College. Black College and Universities. HBCU. Thank you. I wanted to clarify that both for myself yeah. and other people listening because uh, we are unfortunately in a sea of acronyms and not that you would know this, <laughs> right. but when I look at my YouTube viewership, about 40% of it is US. So obviously to the other 60% uh, of the world, uh, I'm gonna know. Yeah, this is all very right. new yeah. language yeah, for a fair. lot of them. That's it's fair. their new language. No, and it's it's interesting because I mean, you know, some of the conversations that we're having about yeah. you know historically black colleges and what have you. Uh, I've got a colleague of mine out of Australia, and we've had conversations about you know other indigenous populations, and it's it's not it's not dissimilar conversations about universities that were targeting one particular community group who then have excess land and then how do you access that create value and support the mission because obviously at the end of the day the money goes back to the university because you know they gotta like run a school so right. exactly. oh, it's interesting it's it's very it's fascinating stuff so so here's another question on a similar angle so i've done a little bit of work with not-for-profit profit institutions over the years um how do you so to speak get in through the front door i mean you're a private sector guy you come to them like why you? How do you get in touch with them? What's the what's the I guess a nice way of putting it is why should they trust you? Like, why would they open up about what their their issues are? Great question. Um, so I think you know, we initially started this. Uh, one of our anchor deals was or is rather in uh, Texas, very, very large, well-known uh, church and pastor there internationally known. Um, and we partnered with them to do about 184 townhomes uh, in Texas. And we actually didn't reach out to them. They kind of heard about the work that we were doing, uh, much of the things that Tawan was uh, doing around the country and reached out to us. And I think when you're dealing with institutions, social and cultural and religious institutions, there is a language that they speak that is very distinct uh, from other uh, aspects of social life. Yeah. Uh, and we have an ability because we grew up and uh, have been steeped in that culture, uh, we understand how to how to speak that language and we understand their needs. Uh, sure. We understand that their real estate is not just real estate for them. Uh, they have been in these communities for many of them hundreds of years, literally. Sure. Uh, and so it's more than just making sure that the IRRs are right. That's important for us, obviously, and ultimately important for them and our investors, uh, making sure, you know, all the numbers pencil, you know, that goes without saying. But how do you create, how do you connect uh, a deal that, in pencil to a deal that can be impactful, right? And I think our ability to connect those dots is very unique uh, and very distinct from many other firms. For example, uh, what we're doing with HBCUs, and we'll announce more of this you know, later on uh, this year, but uh, being able to not only generate capital and, and uh, develop their undeveloped land, but we're, we're figuring out ways to incorporate students into this development in not just living there, but how do we economically impact the lives of students? And we'll announce what that's going to look like later on this year. Uh, how do we create 
um, how do we create opportunities for students and ad and admin uh, to socially and economically uh, uh, benefit from this development? And so, you know, that we're thinking about it not just from a real estate perspective, but from a human perspective. Because at the end of the day, people have to live in these homes. People uh, are the are the faces and names behind these LLCs. How can we impact the broader community with the real estate that we develop? And I think right. that's what separates us from the rest of the pack. No, and I, and and I appreciate all that. It's it's interesting to talk about just sort of building, building the connections and talking about how real estate development uh, has to be about community development at the end. Of Absolutely. The day. It's, Absolutely, it's you're part of a you're part. It's more than just oh, we create a property tax bill that we pay. It's exactly. Actually, how do you impact things? Exactly. No, it's fascinating stuff. So, so one other. So we talked a little bit about plans for the next few months. You talk about how you've got some new things coming out, and obviously you're working on additional projects. And I realize there's what you you can address and can't address, and right. totally respect that. Um, one other question I wanted to throw out there, which is a little bit of a side conversation, but still something I've been thinking about. Wanted to get your take on it. So rent regulation has become more of a thing, I would say, over the last decade. If anything, the pendulum seems to be swinging towards rent control and rent regulation rather than away. And, you know, there are broader reasons why about, you know, cost of living and, you know, politics and whatever. I guess what I would ask is, does that affect you guys? Like in the markets you're operating in, is that a concern? Is that part of the conversation? Great question. Great question. So we focus on naturally occurring affordability and attainable housing. Um, 70 plus percent of our tenants are essential, are essential workers. Um, we focus on workforce housing. So we, by default of our business plan and our strategy, we focus on the middle market. Uh, our tenants are not paying more than 30% percent of their income on rent. Right. right. And we're still able to put up pretty impressive returns, uh, for ourselves and for our investors at the same time. Uh, so that doesn't really affect us much um, in the markets that we're in today. Uh, but again, we lead with how do we create attainable housing, right? So uh, I think it puts us in a position where we don't have to be reactionary to the market uh, and to market changes, particularly around uh, rent control or rent stabilization. Uh, we are already baked into our business model is a strategy uh, to make sure that our renters are not paying more than 30% of their income. We're still you know, having pretty healthy returns. Uh, and at the same time, we're able to uh, provide a benefit to our investors. Uh, and I think we've, 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 we've really done well at creating that niche for ourselves. No, it's, it's, that's interesting to talk about. Yeah, I mean, and I get that. If you're starting at a rent that's reasonable, then as long as you're basically growing with inflation, you're growing with inflation. Like it doesn't really matter at that point, whether or not it's 3% or 4% or 2%. Exactly. Who cares? Right. Think, no, yeah. it, that, yeah. that's that's curious. I think also, you know, I mean, we were in the SFR space, right? SFR is, is the most valuable asset class, even more than multifamily. It's worth about four point seven billion trillion dollars with a T. Uh, I think multifamily is about three point five trillion. Uh, and even with that said, there's only about three hundred thousand SFR rental units that are institutionally owned. It's about one point five percent of all rental units that are SFR are institutionally owned. Three hundred thousand. Uh, so the opportunity for growth in that space alone is monumental uh, and rents are and have been rising for quite some time. There's been a deceleration over the last 15 months or so, uh, but that deceleration doesn't compare to the amount of rent growth that the space has seen over the last three years. I mean, in Miami alone, I mean, I think over the last 
couple of months, we've seen some deceleration in places like Miami. I think rents went down about 0.6%. Um, but over the last three years, from 2020 to 2023, rents increased about 55%. Uh, and, and, and so I think, you know, there's a, there's an interesting conversation to be had, uh, between SFR rent growth and how it affects the broader sort of uh, country and renters in general, but, uh, it's an exciting space and ex an exciting time for our company. And, uh, I think we're, I think we're moving in the right direction. I would say just as one thing to cap off what you just said, it's interesting your point about how the single family rental market is only about 1.5% institutionally owned, because I mean, at least if you read the press, uh, general media seems to make it sound like right. every house in America is owned by Blackstone and rented yeah. to people. And, exactly. uh, you know, I mean, as someone who lives in a single family home in a single family market, yeah. uh, you know, most of the people own their own homes. Right. You know, I mean, there are rental homes, but it's relatively small percentage of the housing stock. Exactly. And then a smaller percentage of that is institutionally owned. So okay. it's actually, I mean, I'm not saying it's not an impact, but it's not this, sure. uh, yeah, and, a cataclysmic conversation. Yeah, with people. I agree. And, and it depends on where in the country you're talking about. Right. So if you're talking about more uh, uh, judicial states like New York, you know, New York represents 7.8 percent of U.S. renters, but only 2.1 percent of, of structured SFR investment, whereas Nevada is a non-judicial state and it represents about what, 1.1% uh, of U.S. renters, but 11.1% of structured SFR investment. You want to explain what you mean when you say judicial, non-judicial? Sure. So uh, there are judicial states and non-judicial states. Uh, judicial states in, in terms of uh, real estate and 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 uh, particularly around laws around foreclosures and, and mortgages. Right. Uh, in, in judicial states, uh, those are states more so in the Northeast and more liberal states where you can foreclose as a bank on a property on a Monday, but it can take 10 years to go through the foreclosure process. Yeah, it can uh, be a saga, whereas non-judicial are relatively zipping. Non-judicial, they can you, you can, you can foreclose on Monday as a bank uh, and take possession the following week. Uh, and so it's so institutions uh, have invested like Colony Capital, Blackstone, all those guys, they invested more so in non-judicial states where they can very quickly and in short order uh, attain and acquire massive amounts of homes uh, that have been foreclosed on uh, and that process wasn't taking you know five, 10 years as it would in a more judicial state like New York or Connecticut or Pennsylvania. Which is then why it gets in the news, because if you're foreclosing on a bunch of homes exactly. and you're kicking families out, needless to say, you end up on the front page of the paper. That's right. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. Yeah. The the impact of regulation and how it affects residential. I mean, I I've worked in different sectors in our industry and uh, the recurring theme of my entire career has been that residential is highly regulated and commercial. You can do whatever the heck you want. You That's know, right. I mean, it's, it's right. office. No judge has ever cried over an office tenant getting evicted for non-payment. Uh, it's, it's, it's a business. You, you don't right. pay, you get evicted. It's That's it. That's the straight conversation. Yeah. That's right. No, it's uh, it's and and there's all kinds of other things we can say about that. Well, this has been uh, illuminating, which is why I wanted to talk to you. And hopefully other people will find this interesting. Um, so I've come to the end of what I wanted to ask. Uh, and. I guess I just say thank you very much for your time. And for those of you tuning in, again, the website is steinbridge.com. And that was Brandon Gibson, Director of Acquisitions and Managing Director. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you.